minus three. With Dave Damashek. Oh, what a weekend it was. Hi and hello, sports fans. Welcome to Minus Three. Make sure you get into the Extra Points Arcade. Head over to extrapoints.com. Play against us, NFL Pick'em, College Football Pick'em, and beyond. Cousin Sal and the rest of the gang there match wits with us. Or don't, upcoming on Minus Three today. I think it's just right to start talking about next season. There are plenty of NFL teams, despite some massive upsets on Sunday, that uh, that are probably ready. The fan base is ready to look ahead to what awaits them in 2022. So we're going to be kibitzing with one of our favorite guys who do the uh, who does the uh, the draft conversation. Lance Zerline going to join us in just a few. Like I say, though, Eddie Spaghetti behind the glass. A crazy weekend. Muzzle tough to you on your New York Football Giants. I picked the Giants. Did you? I did not. I didn't really like what I was shown in the Kansas City game, which we talked about last week with Hench and stuff. Is like the offense did not look great, and it wasn't good again versus the Raiders either. But luckily, this defense that was so good last year under Patrick Graham played really well last week versus Kansas City. And they played really well again versus the Raiders, and that's kind of what propelled them. Plus an awesome game on the ground from Devontae Booker, but uh, I'm still the Jason Garrett, like what he's doing, Dale Jones has not been great. Not targeting a receiver for a quarter and a half. Like I don't, I don't get it, but yeah, they won. I wasn't really happy about the win, but it is what it is. Hey, good news. You're right in the mix for that seven seed in the NFC. Want to talk about that, but first some, I told you so's off of the weekend, Purdue dumped Michigan state. Who told you that would happen? Your old pal, Dave Damashek. That's who chargers went into Philly. They survived the Eagles. Didn't exactly win the game. Um, the way I expected them to, but all turned out well in the end. If you followed my advice there, the Patriots went into Charlotte, North Carolina. They took care of business there. And how the Dolphins beat the Texans. We must stop being cute with this Texans team and betting on them because Tyrod Taylor's back or because they won in week one. They're quite poor. Take that note and uh, and use it the rest of the season. It's always a good idea to bet against the Houston Texans. And the Vikes covered the seven they were given in Charm City or back time for me. When I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. I thought Jordan Love would go into Arrowhead and win that game outright. I was wrong on that one. So now in our Pup of the Week picks on the Extra Point show that we do with Cousin Sal and Marty Weiss, we pick big dogs to win straight up. I'm now five of eight on the season and picking these. Still pretty good. Sal, to his credit, barely missed on the Vikes. They really could have won that game. They lose it in overtime, of course, on the right toe of Justin uh, Tucker and the dynamic legs of Lamar Jackson. I don't know how that uh, the home team in purple continues to win games. Six and two is where they sit now. My biggest miss, though, so far this season, the San Francisco Niners. What gives? And if we're asking what gives, what gives in the NFC, they're still in it. They can, the Niners can still get into it. Russell Wilson coming back now for next week. They're in it. The Giants are in it. The Saints are no lock for the sixth seed with Trevor Simeon in there. Matt Ryan and the Falcons could wind up in the playoffs. It's weird. All of Sunday was weird. And the reaction to it was anything but because it happens every year somewhere around the midpoint people throw their hands in the air and decree stuff like no one's good the Lombardi chase is more wide open than it's been in forever the NFL is drunk no it's not 
Yeah, thoughts and prayers to your power rankings this week. But of course, your power rankings have no real world implications. It was one week of football. Your power rankings are redundant with what's already the world's best reality show, pro football. In other words, power rankings are kind of like that show hosted by the guy who talks about the reality show you just watched. You know what that show is? I can't think of his name. He's on TV a lot. Not as much as the NFL QBs are on TV pitching insurance. Um, and speaking of those guys, the big winners of the week in uh, in the QB league are three quarterbacks. First, Aaron Rodgers, who I'm guessing watched his would-be successor fail from a Hawaiian commune high on horse, dewormer, and clay. So I was wrong about Love winning in KC, but I think I must have been right about what the leverage Aaron Rodgers perceived himself to have this past offseason was while he was making those trade demands, namely that he knew Jordan Love wasn't good enough to take over for him. That's why he could puff his chest out to the degree he did. Another big weekend winner, Baker Mayfield, who completed only 14 more passes than I did in a blowout win. Not sure why, but the Browns are better without Odell Beckham. And yet it's pretty clear contenders are going to fall all over themselves to get the guy who made that one one-handed catch seven years ago. And the other big winner of the weekend, Tom Brady, who had his feet up this weekend while the current New England QB was busy trying to steal someone else's foot. Almost all the other NFC contenders for the number one seed lost. Easy to think Brady maybe has a lucky rabbit's foot not Brian Burns' foot or shoe or whatever Mac Jones was going for in that weird play. But we got to get over the narrative that Brady is lucky. It's been 20 years already. Luck's got nothing to do with it. And I'm not just talking about Andrew. As a side note, it really is weird that a guy named Luck didn't even get to a Super Bowl. He even had a horseshoe on the side of his hat. But let's not live in the rearview mirror. In fact, spoiler alert, I'm going to jump to the big climax of this year's show, Get used to it, everybody. Tom Brady's going to win the Super Bowl again. And we'll again hear how he's lucky to be playing with a great defense and great pass catchers. If it's as if it's just dumb luck, Brady chose the Tampa St. Pete area over the rest of football America. A year ago at this very time, the Bucs were 6-3 and three after a dispiriting loss to the New Orleans Saints. Deja Drew. They're already ahead of schedule, in other words. And you want to look at a power ranking? Here's one for you. Super Bowl winning odds are about as close as it gets. Here they are in FanDuel right now. The Bills are way up there. Rams, Cards, Ravens, Cowboys. Maybe you want to follow my lead and get in on the Chargers playing in their home stadium in mid-February. But who's at the very top of those power rankings? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are the best bet. So again, the NFL ain't drunk, but we should get our sea legs because the 44-year-old guy is going to be drunk again come February. How say you, Spaghetti? Is that right? Do you think so? We know the Bucks, the Packers, and the Cowboys are winning their divisions. We also know the Rams and Cards are going to the playoffs. But in that NFC, I don't know about the Saints, the Falcons or the Vikes, or the Hawks, or the Niners, or the Eagles, or shame the devil, even your Giants are going to wind up. But that's all just window dressing. It's Brady getting to the Super Bowl again, right? Uh, that's what I said forever ago. I kind of, I, I kind of amended it. I think I, my original take was Bucks, Titans, but the Titans won. Well, I was actually surprising too to see that the the Derrick Henryless Titans uh, beat up on the Rams, and it seems like Adrian Peterson will fill into that hole, and maybe it'll become more of a pass happy team. Who knows? But 
at some point also during one of our shows, I said, I like the bills and I like the Cowboys. I think the problem is also that everyone like it's a, it used to be a 16 game season. It's now a 17 game season. That's a lot of games. This is not like college football. If you lose one or two games, your chances in the postseason are totally over with. Like you're allowed to lose. Teams are allowed to lose. I think in the social media kind of fast paced era where it's like, if it's everyone's a prisoner in the moment, like teams are allowed to lose. There's going to be coaching mistakes and be player mistakes, uh, injuries and all that kind of stuff. It, 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 you know, teams will have let down weeks and they'll have surprisingly good weeks too. So like, I don't, it doesn't bother me if good teams lose. I still think the Cowboys are going to be fine. I still think the Packers are going to be fine when Rodgers returns. Like I'm not that worried. It'll be the usual suspects in the late in the playoffs. It'll be the Packers. It'll be the Cowboys. It'll be the Bucks. I don't really think any team outside of those will be in the mix. I, I think the Cardinals, I like them. I still don't give them enough credit. I don't know why they'll probably disappoint and fall short. I think the AFC side, I mean, the Bills will still be back in it. The Ravens kind of, you know, they're just getting dragged by Lamar. It's it's like, I don't know who else in the AFC side really is a, a contender now. The, the Titans, I think losing Henry really hurts. But um, and I don't like anyone from the AFC North really to go far. So I, I think, I actually think the winner will be from the NFC. I, I think that's all true. And I think, though, at the end of it, Brady did absolutely nothing this weekend and he's your big winner because all those other contenders and the NFC lost and he got right back into the mix to get the number one seed which is the most important ship to have come playoff time um before we get to Lance and start looking ahead a little bit and get his thoughts on what happened to Jordan Love and why Trey Lance isn't playing yet and um, Malik Willis and uh, Kenny Pickett and some of the other names floating out there um, in the 2022 draft, uh, same game parlay. Let's talk FanDuel. I just told you to go to FanDuel and bet the Buccaneers if you know what's good for you. Buccaneers Chargers. I think that's a really nice bet right there. But a same game parlay is available to you. In the meantime, that's three legs or more. And if you bet, if you're bet doesn't win FanDuel is going to pay you back up to ten dollars we love to make the same game parlay just three legs it's the Ravens it's the Dolphins on Thursday night football coming up here Jackson passing and rushing props Ravens total points um, I think those are obviously always going to be some good bets for you there. The Dolphins struggling hard to figure out exactly what to get excited about there, except their individual team point total go under that and make sure you're doing it all on FanDuel Sportsbook, the fast payout, safe and secure. It's, uh, it's no wonder that it's America's number one sportsbook, but you know, perhaps the best thing are these same game parlays. Get in there and uh, follow our lead, and we'll see you in the winner circle, or maybe we won't. Um, Eddie Spaghetti. So let's get to Lance here, shall we? But first, a quick word. Okay, one of our favorite guys to bounce off of, and not just about football. He's a delightful fella to yap about about. Houston-based restaurants and beyond. You can listen to him there on ESPN Radio in Houston, and you can watch him come draft time on NFL Network. It's Lance Erline. What's happening, Pally? What's what's up? A long time no see. I see you. Uh, you got Dan Pastorini on your uh, your nameplate there, which is 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 an interesting homage since it was his Houston Oilers when I was a little kid that were annihilated by the Steelers on a regular basis. So uh, that's uh, he carries both good and bad memories from my, from my childhood. Yeah, I know he does. And it's one of my favorite stories. And I don't mean to go down the uh, in, into the Wayback machine because we have much to talk about. 
by the way, sorry about your Strohs if we're talking 2021 sports. Yeah. But um, do want to talk about the QB class upcoming and everything else. But one of my very favorite pro football stories that you and anybody who cares about the history will dig. I once talked to Mean Joe Green, a thrill, of course, for me. In 1979, the Steelers had won three out of uh, the preceding five Super Bowls. They were really good, but the San Diego Chargers were even better that year, and the Oilers were good once again. And uh, the Chargers destroyed the Steelers in, I think, late November or early December, and it made it clear who the favorite was to get to the Super Bowl out of the AFC side. And, I mean, they whipped them, but good. Um, over in San Diego and um, the and so it looked like the Steelers were on a collision course to go back to San Diego for the AFC title game all the Chargers had to do was take care of the Oilers who had no Dan Pastorini no Uh, Earl Campbell Campbell. and no Ken Burrow their three best offensive players Dan Fouts I think threw four picks Vernon Perry got all four of them, and I think he also scooped and scored a blocked field goal or something like that. But watching that game, or, or before that game, knowing how terrifying Dan Fouts and that uh, and that Don Coriel offense was, Mean Joe Green blew in a call to Bum Phillips the week before that game and said, I picked up a tip from Dan Fouts when we were playing them that you should use against him. And Bum took the note, used it against Fouts, and coincidentally wow. not, the Oilers won that game. That's how scared the Pittsburgh Steelers, Steel Curtain, was of facing Dan Fouts that year in the playoffs. They caught the Oilers, who Mike Renfro in the back of the end zone and everything else, almost got him anyway, <laughs> but the rest is history. I don't know yeah. how, how different pro football's lore would be if the Steelers had only won three and the Houston Oilers beat the LA Rams in that Super Bowl. I don't know how much differently uh, we we would regard the steel curtain of the 70s. Well, and I think that that one play with Renfro you talked about is always, you know, for for Oiler fans at least the ones who are left, that's always the play that a lot of people talk about necessitated uh a version of the replay rule. Sure. You know, replay was 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 kind of started on that day almost to an extent where people started to discuss the fact that big high leverage games could be decided by, you know, potentially decided by missed calls, things like that. So yeah, that was a, that was a big game with the uh, Steelers and the the Oilers together. And of course, like I said, I was, I was a a young Houston Oilers fan, but I remember, I can't remember where we were flying from, but we were on a plane flight home. I was with my mom and my brother and sister. I can't remember where my dad was. So um, at that time it would have been something related to, you know, a bowl game. He was coaching at university of Houston and um, and the I old remember blue bonnet, off, the old blue bonnet in the Astrodome, I, one of the they did have a, a blue bonnet bowl. Yeah, they went to the blue bonnet bowl one year, I think. But it's funny that I remember the captain getting on and saying the Houston Oilers have just uh, picked off Dan Pastor. They had just landed. And I don't I mean, you didn't have cell phones back then. So I don't even know yeah. how the. I don't even know how the captain had this. It must be somebody in flight control uh, and air traffic control must have said, oh, this is a fourth interception because he's given us like this is four interceptions for fouts. Vernon Perry's grabbed you, whatever it was, two or three of them, however many he had. And uh, so even as a little kid, I mean, I was going crazy thinking I, I didn't think there was any chance in the world, but that's any given Sunday for you. So and we saw that this weekend with Jacksonville and Buffalo and 
you know, Denver and, and, and Dallas. And it's, it's what makes the NFL fun to me is that that any given Sunday sounds cliched, but man, it is, it's, it's just true. Like yesterday was an any given Sunday. I wrote down a bunch of stats, like the quarterback stats from, and I know I'm, I'm kind of dating it a little bit in terms of when the podcast comes out, but I mean, Joe Burrow, Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, Derek Carr, Mahomes, Stafford, some really good quarterbacks, guys having great years, guys who have been former MVPs or discussed with MVP consideration this year. I mean, other than Burrow, who has played pretty well. And I mean, disastrous games relative to their um, expectations. So any given Sunday, man, anything can It happen. is crazy. I just went on and on about that very thing, and perennially we fall into the same thing of like, <laughs> it's never been up more up for grabs than it is right now. Right. And it is every year around this time, and everything settles in somewhere around Thanksgiving through – the holidays. That's where the real team sort of rise up there. It's it's it's. Chad, uh, why do you why do you think we don't learn from history? As as somebody who's been in sports my whole life and done sports talk radio, so I've 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 talked about baseball, basketball, football, college football, pro football. I now live in the draft space along with doing a daily talk show. It's just amazing to me that we have so many instances of history teaching us to either be patient or to be careful about this or this usually happens and it's like we never ever learn at least as a sports society we never learn from the old adage that history is going to repeat itself and 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 that once we're shown something we don't seem to remember it from year to year we seem to start all over with the same narratives year after year after year it's so true. I don't have a good answer to what I hope is a rhetorical question because I'm not yeah. smart enough to figure out the the reason for it. I'll tell you, one of those tropes that people always say is when a kid gets into some trouble um, that, well, that's it for him. He's never going to play in pro football again. And of course, Deshaun Watson is the guy who kind of fits that description right now. I mean, you know, six months ago, it was like, well, his career's over. His career's not over, clearly. Teams were no. trying to get him. Um, just last week and, and we're fighting it out. Didn't land anywhere. Jump to the end of that story for us. Where is Deshaun Watson? And by the way, I don't, one of the things I talk about every year is, and people marvel at like, you think a big time quarterback is going to move? Yeah, it's free agency. Tom Brady <laughs> left New England. I think Aaron Rodgers wanted to leave Green Bay. I think this offseason is going to be the juiciest one yet. I think Russell Wilson could land in Cleveland. I could see Aaron Rodgers in Denver. Where's Deshaun Watson in 2022? I think he's going to be with Miami. Um, how it goes down, I don't know how it goes down. Deshaun's really focused on Miami. I do think that, you know, when 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 the year's over, you've got Matt Ryan is a is a very likely cap casualty, unless they redo his deal so they can extend it and get some cap relief. But I don't know if they're going to do that or not. Um but Matt Ryan and, and Atlanta's worth watching. New Orleans was worth watching before Jameis got hurt. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, obviously, are worth watching. Philadelphia, uh, Denver. You mentioned I don't like ruling out Seattle as a possible landing spot, depending on what happens with Russell Green Bay. But Miami's the place that Deshaun wants to be, and he has a no-trade clause. And so I think uh, we can talk about all the teams that need quarterbacks all we want, but I think Deshaun wants to get to a place where he can – quote unquote, live his best life. I mean, I think lifestyle matters to him or, or, or he'd be talking about the Steelers, uh, maybe Denver. He'd be talking about places other than Miami right now, but that's where he really wants to be. So I think it's a matter of getting, uh, 
there's some resolution that has to happen from a, from a lawsuit standpoint for Deshaun. And, uh, you know, that's a separate thing to discuss, but I'm just focusing on the football right now. What necessity or what, what ends up creating the, the, the pathway for Deshaun to play again. I think it's going to happen at some point uh, between now and February, because that's when he goes, that's when the depositions start. And I don't think Deshaun wants the depositions out there. I think, I think he doesn't want to relive all the, the details of what people are accusing him of. So I think something will get done. Um, and then it's going to be interesting to see if he tries to, to get a new contract to make up some of that money he lost from his signing bonus that will invariably go to the legal team and and uh, any type of uh, settlement, if there is a settlement. So I think there's a lot of moving parts, but when it's all said and done, I think he's going to want to go to Miami. I think Miami is going to see that they really, Chris Greer and, and Brian Flores really need a big 2022. And I don't think, I think they've lost confidence in Tua. The Tua is not going to be the guy to do that. And so I think it may grease the skids a little bit for, uh, for Miami to make an offer that Nick Casario, the Texans general manager would take. And I think that's where he's going to be. And I, I think if you had to put odds on it, it's like a one to three favorite. I think it's like, hmm. you know, minus 250, minus 300, that that's where he'll, he'll land. And if not there, I think Denver's in play also. Well, I, I mean, I talk, you know, we talk about the recurring narratives. Um, one of mine that I that I push real hard is that we live in a time of full QB saturation, that there are now, you know, five, six years after I first said, um, how is it possible in a world of seven billion people, we can't find 32 guys to play halfway decent QB in pro football. And now I feel like we have more good QBs and we have <laughs> slots for them now contracts yeah. and otherwise and injuries get in the way of all that. But I'm a little shaken this year by it because a, a, a side part of that is that every spring provides 21 year olds who are ready to step in, unlike their predecessors who needed three to five years to learn at the knee of a, of a vet. Most guys who were first round guys, you could put in there with some confidence. This year feels kind of weird Tua feels kind of weird from a year ago. We'll see where he lands. It it feels a little and talk, talk, it, you're the perfect guy to talk to right now because I talk all every year perennially. I say there's this this conversation that goes on around the the NFL draft, which is that going into the year into the pro and college football season, there were some interesting guys to look at and guys who were being touted as like, these are the two guys that'll go in uh, in the draft next spring. Then more guys rise up and look good and other guys look bad. And now we're in that space where like, I don't know if any of these guys are worth it. I don't know if any of these guys get mm -hmm. a first round. I don't see a Trevor Lawrence in this group. Um, but spoiler alert, as far as I'm concerned, by by the end of the combine and everything else, there will be five guys at least who people like you will give a first round grade to true or false. Yep. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, the number may change. It may be three first round grades, but four of them go in the first or, you know, four first round grades, but five go in the first, something like that. But what we know is the quarterbacks get pushed up and, and I mean, they get, they get pushed up earlier than you expect sometimes, maybe earlier than, than the grade warrants. But that, that happens in the past. It's likely to happen again. You see the Texans and Lions are two teams that are they're two of the worst teams in football. Uh, Miami Dolphins right up there, obviously. They just got their second win yesterday against the Texans. But 
I can see Miami obviously looking for a quarterback next year. Now we think Deshaun is in play over there. The Texans will need a quarterback. Um, obviously the Jets are going to need a quarterback as well. So the teams that are the worst teams in the Wait, league. Wait, was Zach gonna, Wilson? Or, or, or not the Jets. I'm sorry. The Lions. I meant the Lions. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm sorry. Right, right. No, the, the Jets have Mike White. They're fine. <laughs> they have Mike White and Josh Johnson. They don't, they don't need quarterback. <laughs> They've got lots the court. I mean, do you think that, what, what about the Jets right now? Mike White just comes out like, wow, he sm- he smokes. You know, who did they play? Who did he put 404 touchdowns on a couple weeks ago? Who was that that he put uh, that the, on? The Bungles. Yeah. So he puts it on Cincinnati in a, in a uh, winning effort. And then the next week, he gets off to a pretty good start against the Colts. I mean, look what Josh Johnson did. He went for 303 touchdowns in three quarters. What's to say Mike White wouldn't have gone for another 404 touchdowns? Can you imagine New York if Mike White goes back to back 800 yards and eight touchdowns in two games? I mean, well, why? I mean, but that, it, it, it does then, it is confusing then for a dumb guy like me why Tua doesn't work out. And by the way, as long as we're talking about big guys who are who, who can't miss and all that kind of stuff, what about Trevor Lawrence? This, in, this far into his career, I wouldn't exactly call a 9 6 victory nice for the franchise. I, I wouldn't uh, sing songs about uh, Lawrence. I, he got hurt during the game. I get it. But at this point, the guy who was the next Andrew Luck, who was the next John Elway, is Trevor Lawrence so far anywhere close to what you expected? Are you disappointed? Is yeah, there- I I, um, I thought he would be the leader in the clubhouse for rookie of the year. With that said, not disappointed. Not really even concerned, to be honest with you. I watched Peyton Manning's rookie year and watched him really struggle. Um, I think what makes... So for one, he's had such a gap, and I think it's the same issue that Tua's going going through. I think when you have such a gap between your talent that you're playing with and the defensive players who are trying to guard that talent, mm-hmm. like Tua had at Alabama, and frankly, like like Trevor Lawrence has had at Clemson, I think when you step up and the chasm has has really uh, that the, you don't have the same chasm, and, and in fact, it has been a paradigm shift, and you now are in a situation where your guys are less talented in some instances or less able to create openings and space. And so what you've seen in Trevor Lawrence's case for three years and to his case for, for three years, two years to three years um, is it doesn't look anything like it's looked before you. I would think the only time you saw coverage like that would be in practice when you played against your own guys. And I think the jump in, in the jump going from easy throws to challenge throws becomes much more difficult. The pace of of the defense and the and the changes pre and post snap, how they're moving parts, I think is very very difficult to, for quarterbacks to wrap their head around. But I don't think I think what makes Trevor Lawrence a, a really special uh, quarterback talent. I, there are still times I see that on the field, so I'm not as worried about it with him. I had some concerns about Tua. I I remember I was sitting at my kitchen table. I just watched Tua. It's like one of those things I'll never forget the time or where I was when this happened. I finished the Tua tape and I went in thinking, okay, I'm going to be really excited about this. This is going to be really good. And I'm like, man, I don't think I like him as much as, as, as a Herbert, you know, because I'd already seen Herbert's tape. And then I let, I let my ears do too much scouting, meaning outside noise kind of affected my process a little bit and you hear different stuff and I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to back Herbert off a little bit and I'm probably going to push two up just a little bit more than I'd like. Gave him a six set from a six, four to a six, seven 
Um, both of them are, you know, a six four would be a late first grade. Uh, a six seven would be, you know, probably a top ten quarter, probably like a top five to six quarterback grade, frankly. And um, but I, I just can't get away from the fact. Now there was a lot of inconsistencies with Herbert's tape, and that that was a problem. But with Tua, he had so many catch and run touchdowns where he's throwing to guys on slants and on RPOs, and that's just not the NFL where guys take it 60, 70 yards because they're outmatching the defense. You know, how you do to elevate yourself above the opposing defense or even beyond the players around you is a great indicator of what kind of quarterback you're going to be. And with a guy like Tour, with Tua and, and, and Trevor Lawrence, the only look you get at, at that is high leverage games in the college football playoffs. Because for the most part, they've got huge advantages. But um, I remember watching Jay Cutler come out when he was at Vanderbilt. I mean, he had he was going to be at a disadvantage game after game. So you could see him operate with lesser talent and do some, some really at times special things. You could see it with Pat Mahomes at times when he was at Texas tech, there are some quarterbacks that give you a little cleaner look, believe it or not, from, from, from lesser schools than the headliners who have had things going, you know, really, really easy for them at times. But for me, Trevor Lawrence is still on the pathway to what he's going to be. Now, you want to see that jump in year two. I, I want to see flashes in year one. I want to see sustainability in year two. And then by year three, he needs to look like a, a, a an exciting pro prospect by year three. I think that's how it needs to work. And I think whether you're the first pick of the draft with a bad team or whether you're the, you know, the 15th pick of the draft, if you're going to be a pro quarterback, year one, year two, year three has, has certain markers that you look for. And, and uh, you know, for me, I just, I'll be interested to see how year two uh, looks for Trevor Lawrence moving forward. Because I tell you, Tua, it has not looked great in year two. And he's missed some time in year one, missed some time in year two. You get the feeling the Dolphins are running out of patience and and maybe don't believe he's a guy. It's really interesting, your point about the paradox of that, because, of course, it's the Matt Leinart effect. Was Matt Leinart great or was he surrounded by great talent? And, and I guess that's kind of what you're pointing to. And – you know, Lamar Jackson was on the other side of that, relatively speaking, right. at Louisville. And are you surprised at, at, at some point? I mean, I foretold um, before his MVP season. I said, I think he is going to, ju- I think what, what the Ravens are going to try to do this year and did successfully until they played the Titans in the divisional round was they jumped the NFL. No, they Nobody knew how to handle that offense in the NFL, my concern was, and I, I remain surprised by it, and I'm not rooting for it to happen. He's exciting and everything, but I, how is he not broken yet? It really, he was taking some licks on Sunday. I, you know, the thing to me was, I don't know how he gets down consistently without ever getting blown up, but he is starting to get got, but he's sturdier than I imagined. Yep. Where are we with Lamar Jackson? Because I don't buy that roster, and he, what he's surprising me with is that that Ravens team is now what are they six, six and two and two yeah six and two and can e- easily be not good they could be three and five I mean they've had some things the Colts game they got there at the very end and needed some help there the Justin Tucker kick against the Lions I think yesterday's game I mean you could have flipped any one of those three games could have could have easily 
turned into losses. And we'd be looking at a three and five Ravens team. Um, but Lamar Jackson, I think the one the one thing is Lamar Jackson made a great throw on a fourth and 19 in the Lions game. He had a great second half and, and especially fourth quarter against the Colts. And then, you know, he had a really good second half. I thought he had a bad first half yesterday and a really good second half Um in, or I should say this past Sunday um, against the Minnesota Vikings. You know, to your other point, so we saw this happen before. I always think you have to look at history and you can find your answers in history in the NFL because it does repeat itself. Colin Kaepernick in San Francisco, when Jim Harbaugh introduced that inverted diamond formation and they did a bunch of zone read and really shocked the NFL. I remember they whipped the Green Bay Packers, just embarrassed the Green Bay Packers. That's the one I always think about. That's the game I always think about. They football's changed forever. I remember him running away. Yeah, I, 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 you talk. Well, we're two nerds, I guess, just remembering where we were in in these in these foot watching. Football I know Harbaugh is the best because Harbaugh has this college right. experience. He's bringing college into it. This will change. This will change the NFL forever. And and you know what's funny is it actually did, but it had to take a circuitous route to get there with zone read. Because when you look at football now, we see it all over the place. Trevor Lawrence runs plenty of zone read stuff. It's not the fundamental you know, foundation of the offense necessarily, but it did change the NFL. But the thing was the Green Bay Packers. So here's the story. Green Bay Packers went to Texas A&M and to Kevin Sumlin, um, defense coordinator, Dom Capers and his staff that off season, because they had San Francisco game one the very next year. And I mean, they went to school because Johnny football had, you know, was over at Texas A&M running a lot of that stuff. And they wanted to go directly to college and say, okay, we know how it works you run it. How, what's the best way to stop it? What's most difficult, you know, and, and, and A&M kind of taught them there. I can't remember who the defense coordinator was at the time, but really said, well, you've a, you got to make a beeline for the quarterback. You got to go hit the quarterback, whether he gives it, he gets hit, 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 hit. And you make That's him what, make it's decisions. It's crazy to me point. that yeah. with all the fancy stuff that people talk about with schemes and otherwise, that is what I hear consist of what I heard at the time when I would ask guys like Terrell Suggs or guys on the Steelers, rugged defensive guys like, oh, you got to hit him hard early and break his will. Yeah. I, really? That's the answer? That's apparently was the answer. Yeah, that was the answer. They and so they went to school. And if you remember that game, the first week of the uh, of that next season, Kaepernick and that offense just it just wasn't there. And 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 Green Bay had really schooled it up. And then other teams went to school as well. Well, here's what happened um, two years ago. So coming off the MVP season, so the Ravens, you can't defend it until you see it. And so the Ravens really hit everyone with Lamar's true talents when he won the MVP. He really threw the ball well that year, too, made some nice throws, uh, made some very explosive plays. Lamar can be very inconsistent as a passer. To this day, he's very inconsistent. But in baseball, and because, Shaq, you you step outside the parameters of just football because I think you can you can pull things from other sports. It's just like in baseball where in this day and age now, they don't care about strikeouts anymore. They care about can you hit home runs. We're willing to have a, a strikeout, a high strikeout total if you're a home run hitter. And the thing with Lamar Jackson is he's a home run hitter. So you'll be okay living with strikeouts. That's going to happen from time to time. And he's never going to be a a, a super hyper accurate quarterback, but he's an explosive player. So you don't worry about it as much. You just don't want him turning a ball over. Well, he had that great season, right? But here's what happened early in the season. The Buffalo bills had a really good game plan against them. And then, and I found this out, I was at the senior bowl and I was talking to a scout from 
the the Tennessee Titans. Um, I guess it wasn't last year, but the year before when the Titans really put it on Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. And I, I said, man, you guys, what a great game you guys had against the uh, the Ravens. Congratulations, man. What a what an amazing job you guys did defensively. And uh, they said, well, actually, we got that. Well, their Brent Peace or whatever their uh, the defensive coordinator, he did a great job. But he had seen from this was a story that was told to me. They saw some of those elements from the Buffalo Bills game earlier in the year where the Bills lost, but they were smacking Lamar. I mean, it's probably the hardest I've ever seen him hit. And Buffalo, what their game plan was is you own the middle of the field against Lamar from a running standpoint, from a passing standpoint, and you push him outside the numbers. And the Titans really fine-tuned that by the time they got into the playoffs, and he struggled uh, because they wanted him to be flushed out of the pocket if he was going to run, not up the pocket. And so more teams teams now saw that twice on tape. So the next year, which was last year, the COVID year, it was harder for him. There were teams had schemed him up and they, and they had, you know, they had, they had counterpunched, so to speak, to, to, to use a boxing term. They had really seen what Lamar did well. They saw some answers for it and they counterpunched him and, and they schemed it up. Um, the thing that is hard to believe is that a guy who's not really built, you know, musk, he doesn't really have a big firm base, as you mentioned, not a real thick, hip thick thigh guy he finds a way to run and he's not a passive shy runner and sometimes he'll take on contact but a lot of times he's so twitchy that he can get to an angle and dive down faster than you can it's get to crazy him to that's to what it is he, he yeah. can be right in front of a defender who's about to smack him and he just has the ability to just drop dead in front of the guy it's it really is amazing it's a yeah i talk about all that it's the difference between him and like rg3 who just couldn't figure out how to do that he he or mike vick they would always get blown huge up difference and it and it Huge ended difference. their careers probably prematurely. But you're right. It's always that chicken or the egg thing. I, I I remember Jeffrey Simmons has arrived now for Football America after Sunday Night Football and what uh, what he primarily did to Stafford and company. But you're talking about that divisional round game in Baltimore when they were 14 and two. Jeffrey Simmons and company shut it down. And it, you can't just decide as a defense we're going to do that you have to have the pieces but it's not a coincidence that cam hayward and stefan Tuitt have had success against lamar jackson if you can get that inside pressure against lamar i think that's his kryptonite let's talk about though some of these guys on the way mm-hmm. and start it off with because i know you were watching him this weekend because i saw you on social media mm-hmm. Malik Willis. He's an intriguing guy. He kind of fits what you're talking about. He certainly isn't playing with the most talented guys week in and week out. Um, uh, The guys across from him are are better than the guys he's playing with. How say you? I hear a lot of buzz about this guy being not just a first round pick, but a guy who's getting up into the upper half of it now. Yeah, I think right now it's going to be tough to find him there. Uh, The physical tools are there. He's got great size. He's a true dual threat quarterback. He's got a very lively arm. He's an instinctive runner. So not just, you know, not just is he an athletic runner. He's the type of runner who has very good instincts. Like I don't, I don't, I don't compare anybody to Lamar Jackson. He's, he's special. He has slasher running back skills as a runner. Mm -hmm. So he's a quarterback who has true special running back skills that you don't see, you know, you see it from Jamal Charles. Like, so that's, that's on a different planet, but um, Jalen Hurd is a guy or Jalen Hurts is a guy right now 
who I think is a pretty instinctive runner. And that's kind of what Malik Willis, Malik Willis is, is he has good instincts He as a runner. And I think it's important because more and more NFL coordinators, I know, for example, Deshaun Watson once said, I don't want to be called a dual threat quarterback. I guess he didn't like the connotation. Listen, that's a strength. That's what got you. That, that's what got you thirty-eight million or whatever he got paid. Your ability to hurt a team with your arm and hurt a team with your feet. Why would you want to be one instead of being both? And and I get maybe the phrase or the name dual threat quarterback, but to me that's not a slam. And that doesn't mean that you can't throw the ball. That means you hurt people in two different ways. And Willis has dual threat talent, but it's not refined at this at this moment right now. Um, he has three three interception games this year against not great defenses. You know, not in comparison to what he's going to see. Um, he he doesn't consistently elevate his play and the play of people around him above their expectations or above his own talent. Like he he kind of he, he has been inconsistent in that way to say, man, he just plays better than the talent around him. He's always special. He's not always special. He does special things, but he's not always special. So um, I think he has developmental talent that could end up being uh, really, really fun to watch in the NFL, but it's going to take some time. And I think, I think getting an answer on who he is is going to take a little bit longer for talent evaluators because you can watch tape all you want, but remember, you're not projecting who he is. You're projecting who he will be and projecting who it will be. I think is going to take um, a little more time from Malik Willis, but size, mobility, arm strength. I mean, those are three factors that are really, really important. Uh, but I think what he has to do is throw with better anticipation and he's going to have to be, um, a little bit more consistent with his, his ball placement and his timing playing with good timing is important. And as I mentioned in the article, I wrote about it. I, I think he needs a certain type of offense. And I think more and more we're seeing quarterbacks coming out of college because of how they operate in seven on seven and, 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 and seven on seven and in our high school football and into college, you know, certain quarterbacks now really need to have certain schemes. And I think, uh, Malik Willis is is going to be better off more in a pro style scheme, believe it or not, with some spread mm -hmm. elements in it, as opposed to playing in a timing based scheme with RPOs. And he's just not a he's not as quick handling and delivering the ball as Matt Corral was from from uh, Ole Miss in the exact same game. So uh, Malik, lots of upside, but still lots to develop too. a lot of polish that, that he needs to uh, to add to his game. Oh, man, I could listen to you go on and on about the QBs forever. I don't want you to tip your hand on everybody, including guys like Matt Corral. So just a couple more here for you. Yeah. Kenny Pickett. Now, I, I, a month or six weeks ago, I'm biased, of course. I root for Pitt football to do well. I'm a, I'm a sports polygamist when it comes to college football. I matriculated in, at Indiana University, which that 2020 season with Michael Penix is, uh, appears to have been a mirage. But I watched... <laughs> yeah. In 2021, we'll see, we're, I'm going to give Tom Allen a, another crack at it in 2022. But in the meantime, early on in the season, it jumped out to me that as long as I've been watching Kenny Pickett wear script pit on the side of his hat, um, that this year he looked different to me. He he just jumped out and, and, and appeared immediately to be playing at a higher level. So I started hitting up the likes of you and uh, Jeremiah and, and all the usuals. And I was called biased, fairly, by some. 
How say you now? Kenny Pickett tracking towards maybe a trip to New York City for the Heisman Finals. I don't know what will happen there, but more importantly for him, next spring. Is he a first-round draft pick at this point? Well, number one, I'd ask that you not bother Daniel Jeremiah. He's a busy man. He's an important man. And he's Mr. Multi- Jeremiah, he makes me call him Mr. Mr. Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Like, Why yeah. I've known you for a long time, like not Mr. Jeremiah. I'll thank yeah, you. I'm the same. Yeah. He does the same thing to me, so don't feel bad. Uh, but Mr. Jeremiah is is uh, just please be careful with his time. That's all I ask because he's busy. <laughs> he's Charger Jeremiah. He's he's draft Jeremiah. He's got a lot of Jeremiahs. He's got as about as many kids as I have as well. So it's a it's it's a busy life. Um, mm. <laughs> we love Jeremiah. We love Daniel. We kid. Um, Pickett is a first rounder. He's not only a first rounder, he should be hmm. he should be in New York. Uh if not for that that I don't want to call it a stinker. I mean, the guy had 500 yards passing and three touchdowns, but the two interceptions against Miami, I think that Miami loss hurt him. Had had they not lost to Miami, I think he is your Heisman trophy winner. I think at the time Whoa! he had, yeah, 20, really would have won the Heisman. At the time he had one loss, he had 23 touchdowns and one interception. Had they won that game and he had one less interception and he had three touchdowns, one interception and threw for 500 yards in a win. And then this week he had another, you know, strong performance. I think when you look at what Bryce Young has done, he hasn't been able to really take control. Matt Corral hasn't taken control. You had um, Kenny, I think Walker from Michigan State, the running back. I still think he's a, a very strong candidate, um, but they just had a, a big loss that will hurt him some. I think Kenny Pickett at that time was uh, his odds were ten to one, and I thought this is great odds for a quarterback headed into the, that Miami game. I still think there's a chance that when it's said and done, that Pitt team he's going to have really, really good numbers, yardage, touchdowns, the touchdown to interception ratio. I think there's a chance he gets there because quarterbacks just aren't taking it. Like there aren't any quarterbacks stepping up and claiming the award on a, on a regular week by week basis. So I think Kenny Pickett could end up in New York. I think there's a very good chance running back could win it this year, but I follow the odds on that because I'm interested to see how it goes. Mm -hmm. And it's like every week it's Bryce Young's the favorite, but you don't, he doesn't feel like a Heisman Trophy winner. And then it's Matt Corral. And, oh, now it's Kenneth Walker. And now I don't know who they're going to have there. So uh, it's very interesting. But I think Pickett has size. He has a terrific arm. I watched him some this summer. He looks much better this year than he did uh, last summer when I watched him. But, you know, I said the same thing about Joe Burrow. It's the greatest jump in tape that I've ever seen ever for any player. Joe Burrow from 2018 to Joe Burrow 2019, they were completely different players. I, I won't go that far with Kenny Pickett, but he's much, much better this year. He's thrown with good anticipation. He's got a he's got a hose for a right arm. Um, throw, he's got a good base and good delivery. He's got great, you know, um, he looks the part, certainly. He's got some good functional mobility to get outside of the pocket when the pressure comes. I mean, to me, he is that pocket quarterback that teams are going to have to decide again. Are we okay with pocket quarterbacks? We've gotten into this mobile quarterback thing. We've gotten into this guys who can run and small. We're okay with smaller quarterbacks now being drafted early. 
What about a guy with a little bit of size and a big arm who is really more of a pocket quarterback than one of these guys who, uh, and I'm including Trevor Lawrence here, and guys who can operate outside of uh, the outside of the pocket, so to speak. So I think Kenny Pickett is definitely going to be a first round quarterback. He's well, also yeah. uh, to my to my less trained eye than yours, it does seem to me like Pickett can do the functional stuff, like run the run boot action. He and, can, and, yeah. uh, and if you turn your back on him, you know he can he can uh, get to the sticks. Um, you know he's not going to outrun NFL defenders, but I, I I don't think he's a stiff either. I think no. he's a, I think he he moves pretty well. As a matter of fact, that's a fascinating comp though with Joe Burrow. I guess the people are starting to make that one. It's really crazy, and I do think for his Heisman chances, he does have some relative big spots upcoming against Howell and UNC. Yeah, he gets Virginia, and if he winds up in the ACC championship, as long as voters don't submit their choice too early here i think he has a chance to still play his way even further up uh the the standings there real quick i a couple of guys i do kind of like because i i i've long advocated like i get the mahomes sat at alex smith's knee for a year before they sprung him on the world and aaron Rodgers obviously sat for a while behind brett Favre, and those are two big anomalies but generally if you draft a guy high in the first you can feel somewhat confident that you, that this guy will be able to handle business. Why then, one, what goes on right now with Trey Lance, one, and two, Jordan Love? Did uh, I, I, uh, Let me ask you the second part first. Do you think Aaron Rodgers knew that Jordan Love wasn't ready and that's why he could so confidently make trade demands like, all right, go with Jordan Love then, Guten Kuntz. You don't you wanna you wanna let me go? Or if, if you're not gonna meet what I want you to meet, then you can roll with Jordan Love. I think he knew that that was his ace in the hole after the performance we just saw in Arrowhead. True he, or false? He may he may have known that. I don't think he cares. I don't think Aaron knows he's so much better anyway. To Aaron is a very highly confident player. I don't think no matter what they thought of Jordan Love. Look, if you wanted to, you could trade him if you wanted. Aaron would go somewhere else. And if you didn't, he had all the leverage too. I don't think how Jordan played. I mean, Aaron sees him in practice. Um, I, I've got my I've got my doubts. I have my doubts about Jordan Love before the draft. I was not as high on him. I thought he was like a a mid second is what I thought. And and I had more arrow down than arrow arrow up on him based on his tape from from that year and some of the. Uh, I just I didn't see the field maturity I wanted to see and. We'll see what happens there. I think it's going to go down as a really big mistake for the Packers, but I, I, I give players lots of time. And, and you know what? You can never rewrite either. And I know everybody was making their wise cracks like, oh, bad day. I love when people have to take the Twitter in the moment to announce like when Aaron Rodgers and the, the Packers have the number one seed and yeah. their whole and well, they, they should be able to beat the 43 year old QB in Lambeau and all of that. It doesn't change the fact after they lose because anything less than the Super Bowl was a disappointment for that Packers team. What if they did use that pick on someone who could have helped the 2020 it's roster? True. I mean, I re- nobody uh, th- there still isn't a satisfying answer to that. But anyway, what about what about Trey hey, Lance? Because yeah. that now is looming as a weird pick too. If they're not going to use him this year, especially with uh, the Niners struggling as they are. Well, you know, just to put a bow on. Um, Oh, sorry. Uh, Jordan Love. I, they're going to have to figure out who he is next year. Aaron's going to be gone. 
and they got to figure out what they have. And if they made a mistake, um, I don't think they're going to, I don't think they'll let it stick for more than three years. I think it will be last year, this year, next year, and then they're going to have to really think about it. Now, if Jordan Love plays to his talent, because he had some really talented tape the year before he is what he's a, uh, 2020 draft pick. His 2019 tape was pretty good. I was pretty excited about him uh, based on the 19 tape. So it's not like he doesn't have that ability. He does have some ability. They got to find out who they have there. Trey Lance, I have no doubt about. I think Trey Lance is, he has very special uh, football IQ. He is, his preparation is is second to none. Like I talked to his quarterback coach at North Dakota State, what Trey Lance was asked to do was, is, is, in some cases, more than NFL quarterbacks are asked to do from a preparation standpoint. And I mean, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, five days of different types of preparation for each of those days. One would be um, uh, red zone tendencies for the defense. One would be defensive packages, what to expect. One would be, you know, two minute drill type stuff. I mean, he had uh, blitz looks, what they like to do blitz wise and what he needs to do against certain blitz looks. So he is he was the most outstanding quarterback in last year's draft, Trevor Lawrence included, uh, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, for being mentally ready in terms of a preparation standpoint. It doesn't mean he's ready to play NFL football. I think it's best when you look at how few starts he had, the level of competition. You have to know if a guy, it, what kind of mental toughness does he have? And if he has special mental toughness, then sometimes you can throw him out there and see what happens because you're not worried that failure will end up crushing him. Um, I looked at it and I said, okay, it's a perfect spot. He's in an offense that really fits his, his talent level. You have Jimmy Garoppolo there to help bring him along slowly if need be. But I'll tell you what's going to start happening though. San Francisco has taken enough of these beatings that Jimmy Garoppolo is, is that he's not getting it done. And there's really no reason now uh Trey Lance has watched tape for half a year. He has been through practice for half a year. He's seen NFL speed for half a year. It, it's getting to be about time to cut him loose and see what he's got. I think that, you know, you're past the danger zone of worrying about hurting his confidence or whatever the case may be. He's seen what NFL defenses look like. It's time to, to, to bring him in there because I thought you could just roll to a, a conference, uh, a conference, a division title worst case scenario, a wild card spot with Jimmy Garoppolo. And then you're ready to go with the kid next year. Well, that doesn't look like it's materializing. So it's time to get to Trey Lance and let's start, let's start the clock on his development as a true NFL starter. I think he's going to be fantastic. I think to me, he, and this is not even hindsight to me, it was Trevor Lawrence is a special, special talent. Trey Lance has the highest upside of any other quarterback in the draft. And then I had kind of boom bust with Justin Fields and, and Zach Wilson. Um, I was lower on Mac Wilson, but Mac, I mean, not Mac Wilson, um, Mac Jones, Mac Jones is going to be a good pro quarterback. Um, he looks more like the player we saw in, in Alabama. It looks like that's translatable where I don't know if that's the case with Tua. Boy, it's interesting, too, because I what I would like the ideal for me if I had a kid and I was worried about his ego, like you say, and his confidence and everything. The Niners have now achieved the sweet spot for him. Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't gotten it. done. Right. The team is struggling. Now he only stands to be savior. If he fails this season, it's like, well, yeah, the, the vet didn't do it either. The right. guy who took you to the Super Bowl two years ago isn't any better this is the place to put Trey Lance in because Agreed. now you can really boost his confidence if he wins a couple of games. Like, look, I've, I'm the difference maker on the team. Um, 
Listen, I could go, and also I, it's, I'm sure you like him because of Lance, but what a cool quarterback name, you know, yeah, Trey Lance, Trey Lance up there with Johnny Unitas, John, you know, Roger Staubach. These are the names of QBs, Trey Lance, very 21st century version of a winning uh, NFL quarterback name Agree. in my book. Agree. Uh, listen, Lance, you're the tops. I would, uh, I would bend your ear for another three hours, except I'm sure you have other things to do with your time. So I will let you go. And by the way, Zerline's the best because he also can hip you to all the best restaurants <laughs> in Houston. He is plugged in in Houston, Texas, like nobody else. And as you just heard there on the, the coming pro football draft, make sure you're following him on social media. And otherwise, he's as good as it gets in this biz. And not just because he said Kenny Pickett is uh, a Heisman hopeful. <laughs> um, we appreciate it. We hope to catch up with you. Maybe, I don't know, in spring before we get there, we can hear some songs sung about Carson Strong and all those guys who people aren't uh, up to speed on yeah. uh, just yet. But in the meantime, thanks for all the time, Lance. I'll be around. Looking forward to it. The great Lance Zerline, everybody. Boy, great stuff from uh, from Lance, as expected there, Eddie Spaghetti. Um, we, you know what? I think we've said it all for now, except this. Get into FanDuel, bet with your pals at minus three. Use the word minus, the number three. That's how you do it. Ride along with us, fade us. We're not uh, picky about that. Um, and we'll be back with our usual Thursday time slot and our old pal Kevin Hench to make sense of what's upcoming for your sports weekend. Until then, for Lance Zerline and Eddie Spaghetti, thanks so much, sports fans. It's been a thin slice of heaven.